I'm recording. That has to go in as a blooper. It's definitely going to go in at the very beginning. Welcome back, everybody, to the podcast where we're going to talk about uh, etiquette in a more of a private setting. Uh, last podcast episode, we talked about etiquette at cons. And now I think we're going to talk about more etiquette in your friend group. Uh, Mazia specifically brought up if you come and you play magic at his house. Because uh, I think there are very different etiquettes when you're playing magic at like a pod at a con than there is when you're playing with friends at Mazia's. Yeah. Drew, you you were about to ask something, right? Or say you said that you would feel bad because you don't know what the cards do and you would slow everybody down, uh, right? Yes. Uh, we were going on and on about Magic the Gathering and crazy card combos, and I haven't played in a while because I don't have a local group and I can't be bothered with online stuff. And as a result, I don't know what the cards do anymore. Like, I, can, I know how to read a card, but all these things, like, I don't necessarily know what Delve is. There's something something about instants that you've cast. Uh, I I mean I never knew all the terms in the first place, but I am nowhere up to date on the ter- key terms, and I certainly am not up to date on individual cards. Like I know what a murder is, I know what it means when something draws, but like they posted a legendary card in the Discord, Hogak, Arisen Necropolis. Apparently that shit's busted. And banned. So Completely nice. and utterly banned. So gloriously broken. It's Point Leland being. Commander, bitches. Get Point ready. Being. I'm going to make an undergrowth commander deck. Just you wait. I can understand the terms on the card. I would need to read through it to understand, okay, what is Convoke? What is Delve? Okay, I know what Trample is. But then I do not have the contextual knowledge to know why it's so broken. I don't know what it interacts with to make it playable so early. And finally, that raised the concern that related to the cons, if I were to sit down for a commander match with six other pe- five other people, I would slow things down massively because I would be reading. And I don't feel comfortable doing that to people in a deck in a game where literally every deck is composed of no duplicate cards. Well, first things first, the game I was telling you about is a game at my place that's a good time commander deck, which means you're allowed 10 proxies <laughs> and 10 silver-bordered cards in your deck. Do you know what proxies are, Drew? I know what proxies are, but you lost me at the silver. Okay. So the unsets, unsanctioned, unhinged, they're the not, they're not legal. The joke ones? Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the idea here is that, like, you could you would have probably 10 to 15 minutes minimum between your turns to read the cards in your hand. <laughs> because it's six players, the whole point of that is not to win. The point is to go... Relax. Eat some nachos. Have a good time. Drink whatever you want. Get a chicken finger. Wander out of the room and come back to discover you've lost 10 life somehow. (laughs) You're not quite sure what happened. (laughs) What is this? And you don't even ask because it doesn't make a difference. But like, this is the game that I want to run at the house because my friends come from a wide variety of walks of life. They don't generally know what they're doing all the time with magic. I definitely do. And some of my other friends... Are GP players. Yeah. Uh, and Drew, if you, to, to make you feel better, I like when I played at Mazio's last time, I was completely wrong about something that happened. Uh, <laughs> and someone who knows significantly more magic than me was the correct, but I didn't think he was. So instead of arguing about it, he just let me have it. I just want to say, I'm sorry, person, you know who you are. But it wasn't... Hold on. Hold on. Let me tell Jared that you formally apologized <laughs> in episode 22. <laughs> He can hear it in a month. You can hear it in a month. But yeah, because like I I think that was like bad etiquette at the table for me because Jared knows more than me. That's just a fact. He does because he plays a lot of magic and he plays in tourneys and like not just shit show tourneys. No, he's a legit yeah. um, tournament level player of magic. He's a legit player. Yeah. yeah. 
Wow. So I think that was out of line for me to do, which is why I'm talking about this now. Also, I think what made it out of line is that the commander games that happen at Mazio's are, like he said, much more relaxed. I am typically a competitive person. <laughs> that argument shouldn't have happened. It should have been like Jared being like, I think the card does this and me being like, sure. But instead there was like a small debate that happened. Would happen at the table in like a pod or a tournament, someone would just yell judge really yeah. loudly. <laughs> like, and put their hand up. Yeah, put your hand up. But like, that's not what happens at Mazio's house. I just wanted to say that. Make yeah. me feel better, Drew. Thank also you. Also tie in to yeah. uh, etiquette at the table and that I'm sorry to Jared. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, will make, I will make sure I tell him you apologize. I feel like I've apologized in previous episodes. Yeah, but... But this is a formal one. But I'm literally going to type him a message right okay. now. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, Drew. Yeah. I'd say there's different tables. Like, I mentioned at the end of last episode, my, like, immediate family, I don't know that there is set etiquette beyond, like, our day-to-day family etiquette. And so, as a result, you end up with a lot of people who may or may not be interested, things go wrong, different people get sort of bored, and sometimes people leave the table. That doesn't usually happen in most other board games I've seen, where unless there's like, oh, something came up, you don't often see people leaving the table. But, I mean, as I said, I don't have a dedicated group necessarily. I'll play, occasionally play games with friends like Boss Monster and other smaller size things. I don't get to have the big, big games very often. I don't know where I'm going with this. I have one other context, but... <laughs> I'm just sort of curious what you guys think, because my understanding is largely you sit down, you play, and you follow through, and maybe you continue playing, but oftentimes the dosage is limited to like one, two board games. Uh, Mazio, he mentioned that like two episodes ago, where he was like, he can gauge how much he's going to have your attention for with board games. He won't pick a board game Uh, that is like well over your attention span limit. Yeah, I mean, there's an art to like looking at somebody and being like, I think you'll enjoy this. And like this is on what end of the the like the spectrum I think you can handle tonight hosting board games hosting or just even like staring at a game at a con and like should we sit or not mm-hmm. and like you look at it and you're like uh I can see from where I'm standing based on the components and the number of players and the size of the box and the person who you know is teaching it and how tired they look or not. <laughs> how bad this is going to be. Let me ask, you're usually also, doing... Also, the elevator pitch is usually very telling. Yep. Let me so ask. That's con stuff again. Are you usually doing this for friends? It sounds like you usually are doing it with people you already have some familiarity with. Generally, yes, but you also have to understand that, like, Nicole will bring her college friends over, and they'll be like, we like board games, and I'll be like, I don't really know these people. Mm-hmm. Like, I've been to their wedding or whatever, and I know them, but not like... Like you, Drew, like I'd be like, oh, Drew likes this game, this game, this game, let's play this one. With her friends, I'm like, I have to try to figure out how much math I think you can do. Yeah. Right? Like for some of these games, like, so if I was to give you an algebra problem, could you solve it? <laughs> would you solve it is the more accurate question. No. No, it's and good. And how mad would you be? It's know? good. Okay, the reason why I probed a bit is because I have a bit of experience hosting games and stuff, because back when I was an undergrad, I was co-president of a uh, board game club thing we sort of inherited it from the founders and while the other co-president handled a lot of the paperwork and i handled logistics we both would host and welcome and introduce people to games and ended up running a fair number of you know rules introductions and we finally realized oh hang on we shouldn't both be explaining at the same time it just causes a disaster (laughs) but beyond that there's sort of a distinct set of rules we had there and because it was like an alternative way to spend your saturday nights you know in a college town our only real rules were you know decent sportsmanship come and go when you need um we're here to have fun not hold you to something but there was still that expectation of stick to the game if possible and i ran into a few cases where well one i was constantly trying to gauge like what's a good player size and complexity for new players but i remember running one night werewolf once for a few people they never came back um Uh, but there were a few things that I didn't even realize needed to be explained. For instance, in One Night Werewolf, it's sort of like Mafia. You all put your heads down, the app runs you through it, you got cards with your rolls, they get scrambled. They were listening for people moving the cards. What? And when I tried to... Oh! Yeah, these are people I'm, like, first introducing to these games, and I think I made made poor judgment, and I also made assumptions here, but when I tried to explain that moving forward, that's generally not how it's done, that it's more like thinking and the bluffing, that didn't resonate with them, frankly. So one, I chose a poor game for them, but two, there's sort of 
people walk in with different expectations and well that's a more egregious example like you know use everything at your disposal or so i'm like i'm willing to ignore like an entire of my uh, senses etiquette is something that we learned one way or another i feel like you have to if you're gonna run that club yeah but, but also that- in your case you've mentioned a lot of what you like you've had like oh i like that board game or oh i've played that board game and i didn't like it photosynthesis uh, or other things and i i do like photosynthesis that's true that doesn't like that yeah game. i'm finally yes, willing to I give it about. three years later i'm over my trauma i'm willing to try it again but like that shit doesn't fall on deaf ears so yeah. if you get a library of people of what games you like or have played and enjoyed you can piece together games that you would like yeah my point here is mostly trying to connect to the etiquette and how that was what i sort of considered a given that okay we're focusing on the game we're not really here to listen and like the procedural parts aren't where we're paying attention to right there's a lot to be learned there and i'm just trying to think where did i even learn that did i ever learn that was i told it i don't remember at this point it's been years mazio it's fair you've had a a lot of events parties people come to your house and play games what do you think the Accurate. etiquette at your house is? As a general rule, I think the etiquette is pretty much a we're here to have a good time, but we're also here to maybe experiment sounds like a little dirty. We're here to play games that I might know that everyone else might not. Like you came over and played Scythe, which is not a game I would have picked for that group just because it's so big and so heavy. Scythe didn't mesh with me because Scythe looks like a game that should take numerous turns, but it doesn't. It's over so quick. Hmm. Quick for that style yeah. game. And like my brain couldn't grasp the time span in which I had to do things. Which is, did you come with a plan? No? Well, you better hope no one else did either or you're dead. Yeah. Oh, like, I still- each move you make in scythe has to count each turn you do is valuable for something got it there's no filter yeah. there's none it doesn't look fast paced but it is fast paced and that that's what threw me off whenever we played it i was like my brain just couldn't grasp that All right. but mazio you you mentioned there's some exceptions but it sounds like this is a continuous thing for you whereas for instance, with my family, or, you know, with new visits to the club, we don't necessarily know what's next. Like, my family's occasionally gone out of a limb to try things, and gosh, I underestimated the core buy-in needed to play your first deck builder, but... (laughs) No, you know what it is? Deck builders for groups that are already gamers, ducks to water. Doesn't matter if they never played one. If you are not mentally in your own head identifying as a gamer, deck builders are really rough on people. And I don't think that's a misread on your part. I think that that is a very difficult divide to get over where you're like, the yeah. The basic concept that the oh. deck is changing and that this is your own personal deck. Those were two leaps that needed yeah. to be made. Exactly. I completely lost where I was. The, no, I think that like we talked about like the, the demeanor at my house, right? Or a table that I'm running. And generally speaking, major etiquette rules, pay attention so you know when it's your turn. Ooh. And... Try to have your turn ready before it gets back to you. Another thing that irritated me when we played Scythe is that the two other people we were playing with didn't keep track of their victory points. Which means, as far as I was aware, here's where everyone stood on the board and no one was close to victory. And then suddenly they would be like, oh, like Mazzy would get a victory point and they'd be like, oh, did I get that victory? Do I, did I also get that? And they're like, suddenly all their tokens were on the board and they had like way more victory points. And I was like, well, this changes everything, you f***ers. It does. It's very, very difficult. Because <laughs> I'm sitting there like, I have so much time. And then suddenly you're like, no, I don't. Why? Because I didn't know how far along in the victory track you were. Why? Because you didn't pay attention. <sighs> I'm thinking I think about that's that. Go ahead. I think that's something, though, that really irritates me personally. If you willingly sit down to play a game, give it a chance and give it your attention. And if you end up not liking it, that's fine. You can back out. But give it your full attention to learn it and play it correctly. I also think there's something to be said for understanding that you probably need to play the game to completion, even if you are not currently having the best time to really get all of a game. Because some games just have phases you don't like, or there's like a mechanic that doesn't really mesh well, and seven or eight turns in, you're like, oh, actually, yeah, that makes a ton of sense, and this game wouldn't work at all without it. Yeah, that reminds me of two things. One... Photosynthesis, where I think we did eventually manage to finish that, or we managed to run out of time. One of the two. Um, But I stuck with it, even with all my analysis paralysis. And two, my first time playing Seven Wonders, where I did not know that you did not get any more resources until the end, and I still managed a third place out of, like, five people. But 
I was suddenly like scrambling, like, okay, this makes a lot more sense now, and I understand the game significantly better now that I know that I'm facing a resource shortage and, and depending entirely on prerequisites. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. The buy-in, completely, like, follow-through, and paying attention, which I've been guilty of not doing that on occasion in Dungeons & Dragons. Um, I think that's... <laughs> when people are doing their own story bits. But... Yeah, but I think that's, like, that's different etiquette. I mean, and DM-dependent, like, and depending on your system. Most of the time, my players are constantly engaged because the system that I run doesn't have a turn order. So... Right, so they can they jump can, in right They can jump in at any time not. if they want to say something, if they want to act on something, even mid-combat. So if someone steps up and tries to do something more than once, more than twice, whatever, people will be like, oh, I want to help out. Or maybe I can launch you in the air and get you farther. And they're more engaged instead of, yep, it's their turn, only they can do stuff. That does suck about D&D. Yeah, well, so I like D&D for a few things, for a few reasons. I think it's just not, I don't like DMing it as much as I like DMing these. And I also mm-hmm. would have to play with a group that doesn't sit at the effing table looking up wizard spells for 10 minutes on your turn. You're prepared for your turn okay. or you are skipping your turn. Yeah, no, I usually don't have that wizard player here. Occasionally I take two minutes, but that, by that point I'm like, I haven't known what to do. I guess anything will do at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking as a guy who plays a lot of wizards and sorcerers, the only time you should have to look up a spell is if you go, I'm going to do this, and somebody leans over and goes, you can't. That's illegal for some reason. You're like, I need a moment. <laughs> and then what you should say is, I hold action for pending this, but then you still need to know what spell you're going to cast, I guess. Mm-hmm. So not so helpful, right? Point being, we're all in agreement. Pay a freaking attention to the game you're Please. playing. Please. Like, sure, there's occasional exceptions, like Jenga. Drunk Jenga. I don't think we're really talking about Jenga here. No. And also, this is drastically different from what we were talking about with the casual commander games Mazio runs. Because Mazio's like, you can wander away from the table. You can go grab food. You can chill. Yeah, no, just, just be, be there, there for, for your, your turn. turn. I think, too, though, if everyone's wandering away from a table, then you know you should yeah, fold the game. Yeah. This reminds me of a video game. And that's fine, too, because it's not always as important to finish. You know, most of the reason you're playing this over a digital version or a video game is the social interaction aspect of it. <laughs> There's tons of great tactical games. I happen to like toy soldiers because I like sitting there talking with somebody while I mess with them, while we murder people together, you know? Yeah, it leaves some social space and you get to interact with people. Otherwise, we'd all just be spending the whole time in single player. Well, bar probably a few yeah. shooters where... Yeah, competitive games I could still see being that, like the fast-paced ones where humans are tough opponents. Generally speaking, most of these genres that are related to board games are there for social levels as well. I also want to say, though, on the opposite side of the coin, the person running the game or the person DMing needs to know when people are out and, like, don't forcefully drag them through it. Just, like, know when you've lost them. Know when this just isn't the party that's going to play this story. And just concede, basically. I was going to say, there's definitely that level of, hang on, are people actually still here? Because we once started playing at the club. Like, we started, you know what? Why not? We'll play Life. Because it's in the bag. I like Life. It's in one of the furniture bags. It's a stupid game, but I like it. And then partway through, we went, okay, is anyone actually enjoying this? No, it was Monopoly. Oh, we also have done Life. We had a dumb version of life where it had all these, like, dare things they'd have you do. <laughs> Point being, we eventually went, wait, we started playing this ironically, but we really just aren't even enjoying it ironically. Let's put it back in yeah. the box. I feel like I'm having a trend here where I agree, I provide an example, and my job here is done, but you didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think the thing is, you know, if the group is really competitive, don't play a co-op game. As a general rule, especially if I'm dealing with people I don't particularly know well, or we've had a bad night, or something like that, you know, we're playing the next day and we're all, like, a little tired, launch in with an easy co-op game, like Magic Maze, which is this wonderful little everybody-works-together game, and then try something a little bit more harder, competitive, more complex, after people settle in. Magic Maze is a little bit frantic, but okay. It it isn't, though, right? Like, because it doesn't really matter. If you lose, you reset and go again. It's fine. I want to say, to me, that's like what Trains is, but then I look at Sierra's family, who are, like, vicious in Trains, and I'm like, "Mm, yeah. Really? Ticket to Ride or a different game? Oh, sorry. Yeah, Ticket to Ride. Where they're just vicious. Like, I don't play with them because they are cutthroat and where they place their little train cars, how well they hide their cars. They'll whisper across the table to people and make treaties (sighs) and deals. And I'm sitting there like, I don't want to be part of this. (laughs) To me, there's just a bunch of little train cars. You have some quote unquote bonus stars you can get. I just want to make the longest train, okay? (laughs) 
<laughs> Stop at these destinations. No, I need that for my path to victory. Uh, but no. We're th- going to make that tunnel across Northern Europe. Yeah. But to them, th- that etiquette or that social situation is drastically different from how I perceive it. So I think it definitely depends on the atmosphere. I want to say my brain is stuck on backstory. That's not correct. History the people have with the game. Know your audience. Right. How far back did we go for that podcast? Episode four. Hey, audience expectations. Yeah. The only reason I know it was episode four is because I have the Google Drive open. (laughs) So like you reached way, way back. Yeah. I was only going to look at last episode, but geez, all right. On the fourth episode, we talked about audience expectations. And I think that still holds here here, uh, in a different light. Because when we talked about it in that podcast, it was about marketing and who are you, how are you going to set your audience's expectation for video games? But I think how it applies here is that what Mazio has been saying, etc., is that you need to know the people you're playing with. You need to know whether or not these people will play well with each other. You need to know whether or not this game can support them and they will be entertained. You have to know the audience you're working with. And I've seen that the cousin to board games D&D. Um, I had a member leave my the group I'm in recently because just not a good play style fit. Where they're the kind of player where, okay, my character's going to do things. If there are consequences to the actions, great. That's fine. I'm okay with that. Another player is like, okay, we need to all sort of really be careful to respect each other's autonomy. We're going to work together, but we all have our boundaries and what our character would and would not do. And it just wasn't meshing well. And it wasn't meshing well with my character either until we each were able to make some tweaks to our play style. So, agreed. I don't have any board game, board game comparisons to make because, honestly, I don't have like multiple groups that have played the same game, really, aside from my family being used as test drive for dominion and that going kind of poorly is that because you didn't set expectations or you overestimated <laughs> your audience uh, a bit of both i mean they loved azul most of them loved azul but dominion is substantially different from azul so not a good direction even if among my collection it was i thought a decent step up in complexity Mazio, did we play azul at your old house on the table <laughs> yeah i think we did yeah. pretty tight yes I, and there's three flavors of Azul, too. Yeah. Don't forget. I don't remember the name of mine. Squares. Does that help? <laughs> That's the first one, yeah. It does help, because one of them is hexes. One of them is diamonds, yeah. They're, they're, I mean, they're each very different feels. They're actually, it's very interesting how they really did apply that mechanic three different way, ways to great effect. It's fascinating. I think, I think the thing I want to add to this, though, is don't reach when you feel like you shouldn't. <laughs> right? Like, we all feel that social pressure when we're like, what game should we play? And everyone looks at you and you're like, uh, well, I, if the right answer is, is A, like, you know, I don't know, Terraforming Mars, and you've lost your love of Terraforming Mars from having played it a few hundred times over the last few years, and you don't think you can really get in there and teach it and have a good time and, like, lead the group, because the group's going to key off the host's energy, right? Like, if I don't want to play Commander, I'm not going to play a six-player Commander game because I'm going to ruin it for everyone, mm-hmm. right? I think that that's something people do that's bad etiquette on the part of the host is, I'm going to do this because blah, right? Or somebody's like, can we play this game? It's okay to say no. Unless you're like, yes, but you would have to kind of run it maybe because I don't know the rules real well or I don't really like that game or whatever. And I think that that's a, a major problem because when you host a game, you really do have to step back from, I'm going to win this shit and go with, well, I'm probably going to lose, but I'm going to make sure everybody has a good time. And if we play a second or a third time, I'll worry about winning then. One of the most important things that happens in my life is, with games is I'll meet people that are interested in games or think they look cool but have never played them. Like, I just reconnected with a high school friend because I've been out of high school for 20 years. And I was like, how you been? And they're like, oh. And I'm like, yeah, I play a lot of games. And then that led to that conversation. We started playing table on, on Tabletopia because they live in the Midwest and I live on the East Coast. It's one of those things where it's like... I don't really care if I, like, you shouldn't care if you win a game against a bunch of people, right, that are learning a game that you're showing them. Right, right. What does that prove? Like, I'm better than you, person who's never seen this before? I think we knew that, yes. (laughs) Yeah, like, you know, what's important is that when, what I took is the biggest compliment is when that session ended, that that high school buddy texted me and was like, yeah, I bought that game that we played and this other game that you talked about. Do you have a third one? Because we're playing a lot of games right now because of quarantine. Bingo. And it's like, yeah, that's a board gaming household now because I helped them or, I don't know, stuck a needle in their arm depending upon which way you want to look at it, right? I think we had a topic that may have gotten lost that was 
how you introduce people. Originally, it was for complex engines, but I think we can tie it in here where if I were to introduce you guys to Apex by completely beating the shit out of you, you wouldn't want to play with me again. It's also a dickish move. Yeah. Yeah. My goal in the firing range isn't really to win. Mazio probably noticed, but like I put more attention on Joe than I did on Mazio. Why? Because I know Joe's skill level is closer to mine. All right. And that way it wasn't Mazio dying constantly. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a great, I feel like we had a great time. We did. And I also think that, you know, level set expectations in there, right? Which we talked about previously, but I know when we play certain things, my skill level is gapped. And I'm not as much of a help and much more an of an anchor, hindrance. If you if you could say <laughs> a sea anchor that's tied to both legs somehow individually. To put it gently. <laughs> but then it's one of those like, yeah, but then you come onto my turf and I'm like, okay, I'm going to help you out because otherwise I'm just going to sit here and obliterate you. Because I remember when I, well, Armada's coming back kind of in a big way right now. But when I was playing Armada, well, I haven't talked to this person in a while, but they were like, hey... I want to learn Armada, and they came in with their fleet, I'm like, cool, I'll bring you a fleet. They're like, no, no, I got a fleet, and I'm like, oh, that's always a bad start, but okay. And they brought me this fleet, and they put it on the table, I'm like, that's not, that's a high skill cap thing you've got there, They're like, this is what I want to run. And I looked at them after setup, and I'm like, okay, you're going to lose, and here's what's going to happen. And they're like, you can't predict that, and I'm like, oh, but I can. And they lost horribly, almost exactly word for word as I said, and they're like, well, why didn't you stop me? And I'm like, I tried. I, I was like, you have to learn how to, like, deploy a fleet before you run, learn how to fly one. In a literal sense, that sentence does not make as much sense. But I understand what you mean. Walking and running, the, it's, the basics before the It's possible to lose in setup when you have a lot of setup choices, right? <laughs> There's a lot of criticism around games like Magic and, thing, and Miniatures Wargaming, or even certain board games that have a lot of setup where people are like, oh, it's terrible that you can lose in setup. And I'm like, well, I mean, it is and it isn't, but you make more choices oftentimes in building the deck or building the list and setting it up and deciding what hand to take than you do in the actual game. And I, I think that this is an etiquette moment, too, where you need to understand losing feels terrible, and we all get it, but losing with grace is second only to winning with grace. In my opinion. I'm willing to second like, that. Yeah. yeah. Never gloat and try to control the salt. But if you have to pick one, we can forgive you a little salt. Yeah. I think that was my problem with my family. As I said, the it's fine. The thinly veiled salt. Is there a lot of salt? <laughs> say, is there a lot of salt in that family? Yeah. It's like under the rug where there's so much of it, it's crunchy. Ooh. Mazio, what game so did you try and teach us? It was a Star Wars game. Miniature wargaming at your old house on the table. There was laser pointers. I don't know which one it was. Okay. Legion. And now that I know Joe better, I would never teach Joe Miniatures Wargame. He does not have the yes. attention span for not it. Not a hit on Joe. Just fact. And I would never teach you a, game, a Miniatures Wargame that didn't have alternating yes, because you learned. <laughs> yeah. But, like, Mazio could have easily, like, made that horrible for us so quickly. But instead it was him taking it easy on us, and whenever we moved something wrong, he'd be like, I would, I, Don't yeah, do that. he was like, do this. I, I think you're much better doing this because, and then he would explain it, and that helped you understand the game a little bit more. And then he would let you take the move back and, like, do the thing he suggested instead of just letting yeah. us suffer as he just steamrolled us. That reminds me of one chess and the whole, well, you took your hand off it. No. Don't do that with a new card player. Card laid is a card but played, two, but that's only with advanced players. Uh, and two, this board game called Catacombs, which. I have the old version, which is all kind of gritty, but the more recent one is all weirdly cartoony, and I don't, I don't like it. Point being, it's a board game where it's four heroes against the Catacomb Lord, and this is an asymmetrical five-player like competitive game. Oh, this sounds lovely. Oh, it is. And here's the kicker, rather the flicker. You flick tokens around the board for combat. Your turn is a flick. Oh, like you do and flick them up? Yeah, you literally... There are little, like, not stands, but, like, wooden, like, circular tokens. You flick them around the board, and there are some, like, pillars in the middle of the board that you can bounce off of. And 
melee is bashing your token into another token. So I kind of love this. Yes. And the reason why it's related here is because with new players especially, first floor, you can redo your flicks is my house rule. And I tell them that. You can redo a bad flick on the first floor because this is not something that most of us practice. You are going to accidentally skid the top and barely move your token. You're going to accidentally send it flying into me. Incidentally, when things fly off, they just return at the edge. Please don't break furniture. <laughs> or send it flying off after people. I've had people move the entire board. Have you ever played Crokinoe? But... Have you ever played Crokinoe? Why does that sound familiar? For some reason, it sounds yeah. vaguely familiar, but no. Well, Amanda, you played it at PAX in well, 19. That's why it sounds familiar. Apparently a Canadian favorite, I think. It's a oh, big deal game. This looks cool. And it's a flicking game. And I sat down and I was like, this looks fun, but it's a little simplistic. And within 10 seconds, I was like, how much is this? And they were like, $300. I'm like, I'm going to pass but only because you're getting to me after a spending spree. If you had been first, sir, this would be going home with me. Yeah. Hi, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing game. I'm interested just from the board design. Are you, did you look it up? I'm looking at just Google Images. Please yeah. describe to the listeners what you are seeing. Okay. It's a circular like platter. Ring, ring around the edge. And the inside, it's basically a little bit like a target. You have like concentric wings on a nice wooden board. And there's like sort of a plus symbol to help outline things. So I suppose concentric rings, subdivided, quarters, yada yada. There's these little like black and white pebbles on it. Like play tokens, presumably what you flick. And there's like an, the inner ring is also has like a metal pegs forming a sort of fence. And I'm just like, this is aesthetically pleasing. It looks like planets in orbit. <laughs> I am curious. Yeah, so... You flick towards the button, which is the center, kind of akin to curling, Mm -hmm. and then it's a points game, and that sounds incredibly simple, but much like a lot of games that sound incredibly simple, wow is it fun, and wow is it hard. (laughs) And the rules are a lot more complicated. There's a great uh, Shut Up and Sit Down video about it that I will find a link for for us to put in the description. Yeah, ever since their Go video, I've been meaning to try more of that. That, Well, that is a great podcast channel. Um, They're wonderful to watch. But it's it's one of those things like um, there are people I could play that with endlessly, but I don't think Amanda and I should play it. Too competitive? Because I think the competitive edges of both of us, one of us would start and the other would feed into it, and it would probably end in a fight, right? Not like a bad fight, just like a ugh fight. And I, I think it's just one of those things that, you know... My fiance and I don't play Go together anymore <laughs> because it turns out that game brings out the bear in both of us. Oh. Um, part of why I don't play Go anymore, actually. For me, there's like a friendly competition mode for Amanda, and there's a I'm here to f- win bitch mode <laughs> to Amanda. <laughs> and those are drastically different. Like, even when Mazu and Joe were in the firing range and I was mostly attacking Joe, I was still competitive with Joe. I would still give him shit talk and smack talk and he would give shit talk and smack talk to me. But that was like friendly competition. That wasn't, bitch, I'm here to win. That was me laughing as I ziplined up and surprised him and he panicked, yelled. Or it's me mad cackling when I finally do get him down. <laughs> Nothing quite like a good mad cackle. And uh, that competition is more like a friendly competition for me, but it is starkly different from the the other one. I suppose that's a lot of what Mazio does. Like He spent the entire well, half the last podcast setting expectations for his table. And like half of this pod, well, part of this podcast, like setting up, okay, what is this environment like? Because now I understand Mazio's place under like con conditions or like larger number of people. That is a casual environment. It's like... It is friendly. It is low commitment. If you're not having fun, we're all asking what's wrong. How can we help? Yeah. And also, specifically with magic, like, we have, like, basic decks. Or Jared bought them, Mazio? Jared bought them. Jared bought these decks that are, like, not great decks. But they're fun for, like, just to throw out there and have people play a casual game of magic. But also, like, I have two commander decks. I will make a third one. It will be undergrowth. And one deck is me being like, I don't think this one's as thought out. You know, I'll do my best with it. I'll have fun with it. And I'll chill. And the other one is, I'm going to make your life absolutely miserable. I know which one to play and which one not to play. But also I could give people one of my decks because I know they won't be able to utilize it to the extent of I'm making everyone miserable. There's a, there's a podcast. Well, I guess he's actually, I don't know. He's a content creator named Pleasant Kenobi on the internet. 
And he actually has a whole conversation with Brian, who's the guy from Tolorian Community College, which are both magic content channels on YouTube. They have a conversation around certain types of hate cards in magic and how there are, strictly speaking, almost like gentlemen's agreements around what is acceptable and not acceptable to play and where those format lines are. There are some cards that you play it and you're a dick instantly if it's in the wrong circumstance. Yeah, like... Lots of tables don't allow mass land destruction. Like, you want to stone rain something, fine, but don't play Armageddon. I love Armageddon, but yeah. Right, in a commander game. I'm not one of those people. I think land destruction's a valid tactic in matches. I think Scorched Earth is a valid tactic. I will say, though, having all your lands decimated in commander late in the game, devastating. You should just concede. (laughs) You should fold and step back. Well, and I I think that's the other thing that's very etiquette-driven, right, is... It's acceptable to concede. It's not a personal attack. I'm not flipping a table. I just know when I'm beaten and don't feel the need to sit here for a half hour to figure it out. Like, that's why you concede a game, because you're like, yep, you got me. Good game. Let's, ro- let's go again. And I think that that environment is, is under the right circumstances, equally as friendly as the, I'm not going to concede because I want you to be able to play this yeah. out for yourself. There are definitely times when I played Commander against Jared and Mazio, both of which know more magic than I do and are better than me at it. And there's definitely a point in that game where I was like, I'm not going to win this. I'm going to lose this. But I still played it through the end because I still kind of enjoyed it. Also, I get to see how my deck fails and how my deck thrives and make adjustments to my deck because knowledge is power, everybody. Every game you play with that deck is more data to take back and fix that deck. And I also think that there's a lot to be said for that, where people get involved in certain types of games and like the expect their expectation isn't mad or it doesn't work like they thought. And I'm like, yeah, nothing works right the first hundred times you play it. Like I have two decks for modern right now. One's a mid tier deck and one's a top tier deck. And I'm very tempted to build a third deck. And I'm like, you can build a third deck if you want to, but you know that the rest of 2021 and the majority of 2022 are you honing those two decks? Because until you've played three or four hundred hands of it, you don't really know what it's going to do. I'm sort of like you just don't. I'm sort of realizing that even though I did play Magic for a while closer to high school, I'm not sure I've ever actually gone on this serious deck making journey. Oh, what did we? I'm not sure how I do with long term projects because I have a deck and I made it, I put things together, and adapted it, but there's not much I've sought out. And I've noticed like even with my choice of video games, I'm favoring like roguelikes and stuff where. I am building something. I'm making decisions and putting together an engine that can work, but I'm not usually refining it over a long period of time. I'm making something that works with what I've got, but I'm not usually fine-tuning. To fine-tune my commander decks takes me losing almost every day at work to somebody who's better at me in commander, figuring out how I lost, going back, changing things, swapping things out, and trying again. And I don't know which podcast episode we talked in it, but Mazio, we've mentioned that like deck building is such a valuable skill and is so underrated. Yeah, and I also think deck building is something, particularly when I was younger, you get very prideful about. Like, I have to do it on my own. Like, no, you need to take a lot of help from people whose full-time job is playing Magic yeah. the Gathering. Mm-hmm. And then you need to like understand that the journey from getting where they dropped you off through a high degree of professional skill to the part where you're actually a competent pilot of a good deck, that is 500 hands of cards or so, in my opinion. It's probably really more, but that's where I start to feel like, no, I actually am fluent with this deck, and I can take it to to a serious event, and I can hold my own. To speak to that, one night, a buzzed Masio and a buzzed Jared... (laughs) Watched me play Magic. Oh. And Mazio thinks... This is Christmas Eve, thinks by the way. This went poorly, but really it was fine. Like, I lost a few hands, and Jared, bless his soul, <laughs> said, well, let me see your deck. And Jared was never... Jared was never <laughs> I, I, rude during that entire time. Like, I told Jared, this is why I like playing this deck, and this is what I want the deck to do. And he wasn't like, that's shitty, or that's never going to work. He was like, okay, let's see if we can make it work. And whenever he asked me why I had certain cards in, I would explain them. And he would either give counterpoints or he said, okay, I see what you're going for. Let me improve it. And I think that was a that was yeah. a good time. And that was more of a let me help you out instead of let me watch you suffer. I think I've gone through that process yeah. slightly with 
of all things Path of Exile. A couple times I've tried my own builds. And I've run into the, oh shoot, now I'm dying to everything, or oh shoot, now I can't kill anything. That's a complex enough thing that I think you get end up with something similar with making builds there that can actually get to the end of the game. And I'm also realizing, oh yeah, yeah, I haven't gone back to my deck in who knows how long. I definitely had that, I should do it on my own. How else am I going to learn kind of mentality. And honestly, I've only shaken that in the last, like, year and a half. Well, mostly shaken. Consciously shaken. For as smarty pants as I can be and whatnot, the day I realized that I don't have the fundamental understanding of a combo to the part where I can look at a card and know what to do with it. Or a player plays a card and the, you know where they're going. Yeah. And those are two very different bridges, yeah. right? And they're also very and, hard bridges, I just want to say. Because it's so prideful as a gamer, right? Where you're like, I could do it on my own. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm going to say, that looks fun. I'm going to follow what this professional did. And then after I play it a hundred or so times, I'll start to make changes to it. And now all of my decks start with, that card looks really fun. I'm watching somebody else play it. And then I'm like, you know, I think I can make this my own by moving it over here. And the thing is, every time I start with my own design, a a raving success is a mid-tier deck. That's You have to be okay with that. And I think that that's one of those things where that's etiquette with yourself. Because I've won plenty of tournaments. I've placed in plenty of tournaments. I've done well in plenty of things. The thing I still go back to is, if I had listened to just a little bit of advice in middle school, I probably could have won a tor- the tor- middle school magic tournament that I came in third in. And third was great. It really was, but... You could have had first. (laughs) I don't know. I think Rob Purley played in that, and Rob was like a prodigy at Magic. I don't know if he still plays. I haven't talked to him in 25 years. But, wow, should I have learned to listen sooner? And the thing is, when you learn to listen, and you just accept the fact that there's only so many cards, and so many cards to go with other cards. Like, you're not going to find some mythical card or model combination that no one on Earth has thought of. Because these things were designed and play-tested by professionals. Yeah. Right? As much as you may talk about uh, Hogak. <laughs> Being broken as shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, and even that, for as funny as it is and as relevant to Amanda and I's, like, magic experiences together as it is, me knowing about Hogak is because Pleasant Kenobi and Brian of Tellurian Community College told me about Hogak in a video. Like, I didn't discover Hogak. Like... It, it was played and banned before I ever knew it existed, yeah. right? I will um, go ahead and, and finish I th- your point. I think that when you breach that etiquette with yourself, it immediately bleeds into everything else you're doing, right? Because you talked about that, that argument with Jared and the, all this other stuff, and it's like a lot of it is that moment of I, I just have to understand that no matter what I'm doing, when I'm playing somebody else's game, something I'm not developing myself, I'm instantly playing with somebody else's toys. And they know how the toys work no significantly matter... better than I do. Yeah. Uh-huh. Is it turns out Richard Garfield will always know a little bit more about magic than I do from a certain Checks perspective, out, makes sense. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And... Power Dragon, who's also, by the way, a wonderful magic YouTuber who's amazing because he does not get shaken and yell the way the other ones do. You know, when I watch them play, they'll he even says in his videos, he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure someone on the internet will catch something from a stream that I missed that was a suboptimal play. And he goes, but I'm also streaming and I'm eating and I'm playing 35 hands of cards in a row. I'm not perfect. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that gives me permission to not be perfect. And it's actually, you know, it's it's since COVID when I came back and I'm like, I have no idea how magic works and I'm comfortable admitting that. And I actually had to be given this talk by a buddy of mine recently who was like, you, I'm, I'm getting back into Warhammer Fantasy, which is now Age of Sigmar. And he was like, listen, you haven't played this game in a very long time and you don't have a fucking clue what you were doing. And if you can't accept that, then just don't do this to yourself. And I was like, you're right, I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm okay with it. And then we netlisted some stuff and we talked to some people. And I, I don't feel like I'm in the weeds desperately trying to prove that I'm smart or something. I'm like, no, like, I got really good jumping off points and I know where to begin 
this process, but it's only because I'm at peace with myself in my own positioning. And a lot of toxicity from th- in things like League of Legends streams from Overwatch that, 2, I just want to say. Where, oh my gosh, Overwatch, so much Overwatch is just... I know what you should just, be doing. <laughs> just, just you not having a clue what's going on, and then being mad at everyone else for you being clueless. That is my Overwatch yeah, experience. Yeah, specifically with Genji's as a DPS. <laughs> or, like, somehow their team can flank and yours yeah. can't. And it's like, yeah, like, why? Because flanking isn't for everyone. That's why there's a thousand DPS characters. Why aren't you tanks. healing me? Because you dived right. behind enemy lines and I wouldn't survive getting to you. You f- <laughs> Because you're behind a wall and two, count them, two enemy shields somehow. I I can't get to you. And then they get mad and they're like, my team sucks. It's all my team's fault. (laughs) And you're like... So I think what we're getting into here (laughs) is that games are a place where you see a lack of life and social skills, but also potentially a place to develop them. Yes. More, I think... I think they develop on the tabletop significantly more because you have to meet people face to face. Uh, Yeah. And you're able to sort of call people in as opposed to trying to call each other out. Yeah. That's a phrase that never probably got explained to me. But the idea being, yeah, instead of saying, this is what you're doing wrong, here's how you fix it, but like having an actual conversation, hey, buddy, heads up, the game has changed. Would you like me to help you get your bearings? Can I help show you like what's shifted? Or in other cases, why not everyone is okay with what you just said for cases of, you know, things that are considered derogatory or hurtful. And people don't always realize why. But calling people in instead of always calling out, like in Overwatch, of why aren't you healing me? You're such a bad healer. No, you're a DPS. Like you guys were calling out there, the anonymous Genji main. Happens all the time. <laughs> How did you not heal me while I'm across the map behind a wall? Behind you can't two heal. shields and two turrets because they have a bastion and a <laughs> torb. And you went in there and trying I... to deflect just the bastion, and the torb killed you. Good plan, Genji. I, Good plan. I remember World of Warcraft because I tried to get into that a couple times over the years, but never did because I was interested in dungeoning and no one was at level whatever I was dungeoned. <laughs> Point being, with randos, there was the marvelous flying monk of a tank who would immediately dive into the next pack. And I'm like, I, I need to heal you. I need mana. I have cooldowns. He's like, druids can heal while moving. I'm like, no, I can't. I have one regen spell that does that. <laughs> and I proceeded to spitefully only heal him with that spell for the rest of the dungeon. <laughs> I think uh, on the reverse side, if you're teaching someone or you're calling someone in, um, if someone wants to learn magic, don't force your way of how you play on them. Like, let them... Tell them some basic rules, uh, let them look at some cards, see what they're intrigued with, and let them find what's fun to them. Don't come to them and say, you have to play Red Rush and only Red Rush. It's not even that good anymore. It's meta right now. Oh, shots fired. <laughs> I don't know if it's actually Oh, I'm not right firing now. shots at anybody because I don't think any of you were like, just play Red Rush, Amanda. No, I, I do love my Red Rush deck when I'm like, I need to grind like 20 games <laughs> in a row. I win or lose my fourth. Perfect. Let's do this. Uh, but that's the res- reverse side of the coin. So you need to have, you need to sacrifice your pride a bit whenever, or swallow your pride. Whenever you're going into a situation where you are outclassed, and that's hard to do. Yeah. It, yeah, it never what... really quite resolves on video games, but tabletop games, it's more likely to. Because again, there's the face-to-face component. But the person that, that also... you swallow your pride for also has to be, also has to have an etiquette of, I'm not shoving this down your throat. I'm not rubbing it in that you just swallowed your pride and making you feel shitty. And I think that's where the fact that tabletop games, not only is it the person in front of you, but there's sort of the presumption in most contexts that you'll see this person again. Whereas with Overwatch and League, you'll probably never see that random summoner with that horrendous username that really shouldn't have made it past the content filter. You're probably not going to see him again. So how reporting him for the third time isn't going to change the fact that he's, you know, somehow allowed to do this. The point being, you don't get to build a constructive <laughs> relationship with them. Yeah. Unlike with your friends. Or even just like your the people you keep bumping into at the local game shop. Or this group of people who all decided, okay, we're at a convention, we're part of a community, we need to take care of each other. I will say, even though, even if you play with friends on video games, there are some friends that will never hit that moment where they acknowledge that they're wrong. And maybe it's time to just say, I can't play this game with you. 
I think it's harming our friendship to play this game with you. I just don't make friends with those people in the first place. <laughs> or it's going to make me harm you. So, but the thing is, is that like you may like to play with that person in another game. I'm trying to avoid like a yeah. direct... <laughs> a direct but I understand what you mean. The past. Maz, you knows exactly what I'm talking about. Tell me afterwards if you'd like. Yeah. Uh, but... But like, you're like, I just, I cannot play this game with you because you will never see that you are wrong and that things have to be done differently and it's hurting our friendship. So we're just gonna not. We'll find some other great things to do together. Yeah. This is not one of them. Yeah. Which I think is that- another etiquette to learn. Like, it's okay for your friends to have different games they like and dislike. Just because they don't like the games that you like is never a personal hit on you. Yeah, the chemistry you may have for friends is not the same you may have for a D&D group, for instance. Like I said, I had someone leave the group not too long ago because in terms of D&D play style specifically, did not mesh very well. Yeah. Still friends in other contexts. So I think to like wrap up what we've talked about, unless Mazio has anything he wants to say? No, I'm good. I think this is a really good session. I think etiquette comes down to some key factors. One of them is swallowing your pride if you're the player. Listening to advice and not being afraid to... Um, what was the other one? I was going to say ask for help, but no. Don't be afraid to leave respectfully in situations, but also pay attention to the game. Give it a chance. If you leaving is going to stop the game for everyone else, then consider staying in the game. And then at the end, say, this wasn't for me and step away from it. Does that summarize it? And on the flip side, yeah. if you're the host, consider, okay, I'm bringing in other people. How can I help make sure this is a fun experience for them? What games, what can we choose to try and make sure this meshes well? And how can I support them? Yeah. Because ultimately you're there to be there in the long haul, hopefully, or at the very least have a good solid chunk of time. You want your friends to come back. You want to keep friends. Yeah. And not leave you saying, I'm never going to play a board game with them again. I mean, I'll, I'll throw one last thing in. I had a very serious conversation over the last couple of weeks about my local stores and my involvement with local stores uh, under my present circumstances and, you know, what my life expectations are, like we're going to try to adopt children in 2022, for uh-huh. example. I was like, you know, there are people that I've lost contact with that I, I need to go find because I genuinely miss them. And then there's some perspective I've gained where, man, there are people I just don't need to see anymore because of how toxic they were. And yeah, we shared space in this community. I'll figure out another way out. It's fine. Yeah. Good podcast, everybody. And on that note of slight regret and bitter necessity, (laughs) have a wonderful day, folks. Or night. Quack, quack.